She's Julie Roxanne. And he's Alistair. And And this this is Far Out. A podcast about stepping off the beaten path and learning to live from our center. I know what it means. I mean, you know, like highly sensitive. I, I speak English. I know what highly sensitive means. And you're like, no, no, but it's a trait. It's kind of a thing. Like, you should look into it. And I was just like, fuck you. <laughs> there is definitely an experience for a lot of HSPs, me included, even though it doesn't show so much on the outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I am not a robot. I was gonna say HSP <laughs> robot. But... <laughs> oh, to HSP ways of doing things would be like Tony Robbins. I knew you were gonna say that. Dude, I've seen like videos of his conferences, and it's just like, is this a concert? Is this? And he's having people like chant like, I am the leader of my own life. I will lead, not follow. And then people are like, I will lead. Yeah, you're like, whoa! You're, you're following right now! <laughs> Julie, Roxanne, and Alistair, I wanted to say good morning because I subscribed to your podcast after listening to two of them and absolutely falling in love. And so um, I got the notification that a new one came out. So what did I do on my way home yesterday? I listened to half of it. And then I listened to the other half this morning and I just, I have the biggest smile on my face. I'm not gonna lie, I woke up kind of having a bit of a challenging day, still a good day, but some challenges. And I feel like I was able to let go of those and just feel a little bit more zest for life. And um, I just wanted to say thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. I have been sharing your podcast. I have subscribed. Can't wait to write a review. But um, just wanted to say I'm really grateful for you guys. And I love this work that you are doing. Um, It makes me want to do more work in my own life. But not work in like the sense where it's like all serious and wah. But more so, like, I'm excited to just explore living with myself. Um, So just thank you. And I want to let you know that I'm thinking of you guys and just so grateful. So cheers to life and cheers to you. Well, hello, beautiful people. And welcome to a brand new episode of Far Out Podcast. Welcome, welcome. Hey. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Well, today we are talking about highly sensitive people. Yes. Oh my God. It's a long time coming. Yes. Because both your co-hosts get this. I know it's going to be a surprise. Surprise. We're highly sensitive people. Oh my God. And this whole episode, we're going to whisper. No. That's not true. Uh, but we are highly sensitive people, and so we spend a little bit of time talking about the traits, because if you don't know anything about it, it's worth knowing about it, because 20% of us are HSP. And then we also talk about our experiences with this trait, with being HSPs, with learning about it. And I promise you there's going to be value there, whether or not you're HSP. Definitely. 
And then at the end, we talk a little bit about the role of the HSP in our culture and society, it's their strengths, and uh, why, why we really need to step up and, and claim our role, and how it'll help everybody. Yep. All right, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Good morning, good morning, good morning. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Hi, Alistair. Welcome to another episode of the Far Out Podcast. Yes. We're excited to have you here. It's really nice. It's really nice to have you here. And uh, we're talking about a topic that is especially dear to our heart today. Yeah. And this is one we felt like we should talk about soon because we just had Karina on the podcast mm-hmm. and we talked about intuition. But Karina is also uh, a coach for HSPs. And HSPs is like shorthand for highly sensitive persons. And uh, this is a trait um, that was kind of discovered and really mapped out by uh, Dr. Elaine Aaron. Yeah. And I think she she really, like her work really started to show up in the 90s. And it's really kind of taken hold and had a really big impact for a lot of people. And basically what she said is there's this HSP trait, this highly sensitive trait, And about 20% of us have it. And for those 20%, their experience of the world is very different than the other 80%. Um, She uses this acronym called DOES, so D-O-E-S. And uh, Julie Roxanne, you want to take us through through the acronym? Yeah, I mean, I kind of want to take you through how I discovered the the trait first, because I think it's a a pretty... (laughs) funny story. Uh, I wasn't aware of it at all, but you were. And I think for the first year of our relationship, you never mentioned it. And then um, one day we were living at someone's place as we had been for God knows how long. That's what you do as travelers. Yeah. And and it was morning and I didn't want to go out because I just didn't want to face the people. And I we had a conversation and I was crying and and everything was hard and life was terrible. And I think like at the end when I was like ready to, you know, get on with the day because the day starts no matter if I'm crying or not. Uh, and you were like, isn't that, isn't that terrible? Yeah, it is. I'd <laughs> like that. I'd like things to stop when I'm not feeling good. But apparently that's too much to ask. So. And um, yeah, and you kind of like as I was getting dressed and ready to go out, you were like are you familiar with the with the highly sensitive uh trait and i was i remember being kind of upset at you because i didn't want like an advice or a lecture or a you know like a rational approach to my problems and i was like the best way to deal with julie roxanne when she's in this mode is to validate her feelings yes but it's very hard for me to do But when i do it it's like magic oh yeah it's it's it, it works like a charm i'm out of the funk and like Two hours, yeah, even. But like, usually I try to fix it, yes. and that only makes it worse. But I remember being like, well, I, I know what it means. I mean, you know, like highly sensitive. I, I speak English. I know what highly sensitive means. And you're like, no, no, but it's a trait. It's kind of a thing. Like, you should look into it. And I was just like, fuck you. <laughs> but I ended up looking into it, and I devoured the book. And I know she's written a lot more books on this since, like, specific to relationships and children Children and and all these things but yes that that was my introduction to it and I've really well first off 
I took the self-assessment thing and there's not even a question of whether or not I'm a highly sensitive person. I am definitely a highly sensitive person. We both turn out to be. I actually hadn't spent much time with the trait either, although Karina's the one that turned me on to it. Yeah. And if you go back and listen to that episode, she kind of called me out for being an HSP when I didn't think I was an HSP. (laughs) And it finally came around to it. And so I really actually dove into the literature on this around the same time as you, even though I was aware of the trait. Mm -hmm. And this was a few, this was a couple of years back now. Yeah. And if you want to take the test, the self-assessment yourself, you can go to hsperson.com. I think that's the name of the website. That's Elaine Aaron's website. We'll link it in the show notes at thefaroutpodcast.com. And uh, it's kind of a simple assessment, but since knowing about this trait, it's it's been kind of a revolution for me in a lot of ways. And a lot of people, which is why her work has had quite uh, quite a movement behind it. Yeah. Because yeah. I think it's really described well a large segment of the population's experience that had been neglected and, and kind of overlooked. Yeah. So I think before I go into the acronym that you mentioned that explains it, I want to make a slight thing here, which... I think it's easy to think about highly sensitive as like, oh, the shy or the anxious people. And that's not always true. Uh, being shy doesn't mean being highly sensitive, nor being highly sensitive means that you're shy. And it doesn't always mean introverted as well. About 30% of of all highly sensitive people are extroverted. And I think they must have it the worst. (laughs) I think that's really, that's probably really hard uh, because you have like social needs that like kind of max you out. So let's kind of go into the acronym to this because that is what describes the, the trait the best. So does, D stands for depth of processing. Yeah, you process things at a deeper level. You probably go like several stories down when people just kind of process things up more at the surface level. Yeah, that's probably like uh, what you think when you listen to this podcast most of the time. It's like, well, they kind of think way deeper. And, and this is not something I really have a choice about. It, it happens. It just happens. It's how my brain goes. Yeah. And it can be exhausting at times. And, and it actually leads to the next acronym, which is O for... Uh, Overstimulation. Yeah. One last thing I want to say about the depth of processing is like, if you're someone that has been called out as like, oh, you think too much. All right. Kind of. Or you feel too deeply. Yeah, that's true. You, too. Then that you might have number one. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if you have, I don't think you have to have all of these. It's probably best to take the assessment and then from there. Go read the book yeah. and just see if it, if it speaks to you. These assessments are always kind of. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're always a bit inaccurate. They're not the best way because we're also not the greatest at answering assessments, honestly. Yeah. Um, so I would recommend that if you have a feeling you've taken the assessment and you're borderline or you're definitely, then go read the book and see if she's describing your experience. That's mm-hmm. the best way to get an understanding of this is something you have. Just decide for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so the second letter is overstimulation and this is a big one. Yeah. That's put a word to things I had been experiencing my whole life, but basically it's your nervous system. Like we all have that. Basically we all have a level of simulation that is optimal for us to thrive that where we're not too bored nor too aroused. And it turns out that, and I think you'll go into this a little, a little deeper, a little later in the episode, because that's a big part of your experience being an HSP. But you, we have like a narrower band, and our point of being 
to arouse this lower or, you know, like we get stimulated more easily and we can become overstimulated much quicker, which means we need less stimulation to to function in our optimal zone. Yeah, yeah. And when we're overstimulated, this is that feeling when you're frazzled. Maybe you feel like you're on a merry-go-round in Mm -hmm. your mind. Yeah. You're just like, you can't stop, but you... You're not like, you're not really there. You're exhausted. You're fatigued. You're. Yeah. And that can be uh, anything basically that comes in through your senses. So, like bright lights, loud noises, or competing noises. Like, for instance, going to a no- noisy restaurant to have a conversation with people for me is like the worst. I, I hate that. Just, just like I, I'm really sensitive on the earring level and that I hate that. So, that um touch sometimes when I'm feeling very overstimulated, I hate being touched and you That's the worst even, one for me. It's yeah. even worse for you. You can um, think about it as anything that revs up your nervous system. Yeah. So any kind of stimulation that, that can do that. And that's obviously like we'll talk about this more later, but stimulation is not something that happens only for HSP. We all like all of us, the world is a stimulating playground and our, our nervous system gets aroused. It's just we all have different points and different things that we're more sensitive to. So that was O. Then E is empathy and emotional response. Well, that that's me. Hi. Just <laughs> hi. It's me. I'm just yeah, that's. I think uh, the emotional response is faster and the empathy is deeper. There's definitely an experience for a lot of HSPs, me included, even though it doesn't show so much on the outside. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I am not a robot. I was going to say HSP robot. But there's this... A lot of times we can feel other people's feelings or we can put ourselves in other people's shoes really easily. And sometimes this actually can be problematic. Uh, It can be very hard not to. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, whereas other people uh, might not, and and this leads to stimulation too. And and whereas other people might not really, uh, you know, be very bothered by maybe one person sharing their experience, the HSP in the room might be kind of like just kind of, floored by it because they're feeling everything that person's feeling and they're deeply empathizing with that person or they might actually be picking up on a lot of subtle things that are being like subconsciously communicated Mm -hmm. that other people are just looking over yeah and that can be just that can be tough because you're going around the world feeling other people's feelings sometimes feelings they don't even know they're feeling and that's 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 hard yeah i was gonna say as someone who's very uh empathic and and it's at times i would say it's been a curse in my life i'm learning to have that under control but it, it it was a curse for a long time There's something really strange about having people tell you something and like all of their body, all of their feelings, everything that I'm feeling is like, no, you're not believing, you know, like, oh, I'm doing great. I just made partner. It's like, no, 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 you're kind of hating your life. I feel it. Don't don't lie to me. Don't lie to you. But I found I've had this this trouble with working with people is that I pick up on something that they're they're not either conscious of or talking about. Yeah. And it's hard for me to move on because I feel that. Yeah. And I realize like there's something, there's something at the root level here that, that we need to work on and it's not being acknowledged or recognized or they're not aware of it. Uh, it, it can be kind of confusing because at what point, like, you know, do you trust that sense? Yeah. And and are, you know, what point do you do you go with what is being actually communicated to you? It can be very confusing. Yeah, definitely. So the fourth letter is sensitivity 
to subtlety. Yes. Uh, yeah. Sensing the subtle. Or sensing the subtle. D- I'm, I'm very attuned <laughs> to the subtleties. I want <laughs> the right word to be used. Yeah, that is extremely true for me. Uh, I will... And from a very young age, apparently, like my mom has many stories of that, but I would always notice like the tiniest change in the room, uh, whether a change in mood or a change in uh, like surroundings, like, or a change in smell or like, I was always the first one to pick up if there was something baking or I was always the first one to pick up if, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of. That still is true to this day. There's a experiment that Dr. Lane Aaron did, and I'm going to just kind of summarize it. But basically, they they had a computer screen and they had a bunch of people, some people not HSPs and some people HSPs. And there was a bunch of either, I think it was, uh, there was a bunch of T's on the screen. Yeah. And the task was... You had to find the L in all these T's. Yeah, and they were all like turned around. So it didn't, they were like T's sideways yeah, or whatever. Yeah, so. yeah. So, and the HSPs actually were better at this task. They could, they could sense and they, they could find the L's quicker than the non-HSPs. But also, interestingly enough, whether it be from the uh, kind of experiment environment or whether it be from the task itself, they were also more stimulated, more stressed at the end of of the exercise. Mm -hmm. And I think that gives you kind of a good feeling of like what it is to be HSP. We want to talk a little bit about how realizing we are highly sensitive has actually affected our lives because it has in dramatic ways. Mm -hmm. And one of those for me has been around stimulation. It's just I never thought about life in these terms. And I would always, there were so many days, so many days, especially when I was working at a startup in my early 20s, where I was coming home just completely frazzled. I couldn't, like, a good way to think of being overstimulated is you're you're too stimulated, you can't sleep. You're tired, but Mm -hmm. you can't sleep. That, That feeling of too tired to sleep, that is probably means you're overstimulated. This can happen to anyone, but it was happening to me all the time. Mm -hmm. And it was a pretty desperate place when I got there and I had no idea what to do about it. And I didn't even know why it was happening. And so you can, there's all sorts of levels of confusion here about, because when you're in these states, it's confusing already. It overwhelms, it's, it's overwhelming. But, and then there's confusion around what the cause is or what to do about it. And so you can misattribute a lot of things. And one of the big things from Dr. Elaine Aaron's work that I really absorbed was this idea of stimulation and this idea that basically everyone is on this spectrum of stimulation, right? And and like you said earlier, if we don't have enough stimulation, we're bored. We don't uh, we're we're not acting at like kind of our peak levels. If we have too much stimulation, we're overstimulated and anxious. And you might be seeing some parallels if you've read like, uh, oh God, I can't remember his name. Uh, or I don't want to try to pronounce it really. That's the, the truth. <laughs> but the guy that does all the work on flow, on flow states. Oh, I Dr. Yeah. Sugar Zanksky. That's, yeah, that that's his name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's his name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a lot of similarity here. So, but think about it. Just imagine there's a spectrum and on one side is no stimulation and on the other side is stimulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we all live on the spectrum. So we all have our own kind of bands of, of acceptable stimulation. Okay. And for some of us, it's going to be narrower. There's going to be a smaller range. Like it's going to take us so much to get in. And then maybe only 
we only have so much and then we get out. Some of us might have a really wide range where like we can, once we get into our zone, we can still take a lot of stimulation. Okay, so you have the spectrum and then you have these like basically think of these as like little rectangles on the spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. And they're different sizes and different lengths, different lengths basically. Now, these rectangles are also on different places in the spectrum. So you have a certain tolerance to a certain amount of, of stimulation in your zone, but how much stimulation you need to get you into the zone is also different for other people. And for HSPs, their rectangles are going to be closer to the side, the no stimulation side. Mm -hmm. So they're going to get to their zone faster and they're going to get pushed out of it faster than the regular population, which might have a broader band and may also need more stimulation to get in their zone. So that has been a really powerful image and kind of framework for me to think about stimulation. And it's explained so much for me. And what really, what I really started doing around this was also realizing what stimulation is and what stimulates me. And this is going to be different for everyone. It's going to also depend on your makeup. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think about it in typology terms. If you, if you go into your, your Myers-Briggs typology, your Jungian typology, you get a better understanding of, of what's likely to stimulate you, but we're not going to go there today. And stimulation is not negative. It's not positive either. It's just, it just is. And so it's good up to a certain level. In fact, you have a, maybe you could read a passage from Dr. Elaine Aaron's book that really speaks to this in a good way. Yeah, I think it's just about understanding what stimulation is. Because if you're new to all of this, this might sound like really, you it's, know... For all of us, whether you're HSP or not, this is a critical concept and it can really change the way you manage your life and your work, especially your work. Yeah. So I'm quoting, stimulation is anything that wakes up the nervous system, gets its attention, makes the nerve fire off another round of the little electrical charges that they carry. We usually think of stimulation as coming from outside, but of course it can come from our body, such as pain, muscle tension, hunger, thirst, or sexual feelings or as memories, fantasies, thoughts, or plans. Stimulation can vary in intensity, like the loudness of a noise, or in duration. It can be more stimulating because it is novel, as when one is startled by a honk or a shout, or its complexity, as when one is at a party and hearing four conversations at once, plus music. Okay, so realizing what stimulates us is, I was, I was in my 20s, in my early 20s, I was living in a constant state of overstimulation. Mm. During the week, I was working at a, a high-powered kind of startup or like where things were going very fast. Things were coming from all directions. There were crises and fires and employees and clients and all that crap. Uh, so I was highly stimulated all week. And then on the weekends, my general habit, which I had since college, was to go party. And I was going to raves for quite a while. And think about if you can't imagine what might be the most stimulating possible environment. It's a rave. Yeah. And this is what I was doing on the weekend. So I was living in a state of overstimulation. And when you do that, uh, you're likely to have, you're, you're likely to live in a very unhealthy way. Your body's going to revolt because it's going to be overstressed. Dr. Lane Aaron talks about this idea of the infant body and how we have to take care of our body like an infant. Yeah. And just like really listen to it because it can't totally speak the same way an infant can. And, but it has needs and they're, they're very important. And a lot of times our needs as an infant were not met in these ways. And we learned basically ways that are abusive 
to this part of us. Mm -hmm. And so we continue those later on because we don't realize there's another way. And God, was that true for me? I was living an extremely overstimulating life and wondering why, like, I was so frazzled, I was depressed, I was anxious. Anxiety is one of the symptoms of living living in this way. Mm-hmm. It's also, if you're overstimulated all the time, you are definitely going to evoke the shadow in you a lot more. You're going to start having a lot more shadow experiences. And these are the kind of like the dark, repressed, unconscious sides of us. They're going to erupt into your life in destructive and tough ways when you're constantly overstimulated, when you're constantly stressed. And so there's also other things that I realized were overstimulating for me, which was besides my general lifestyle and the things I was doing for fun, which I thought were was helping me get escape or, or you know, but it wasn't mm. in a lot of way. So I had to kind of get that under control. But I realized that, oh, coffee, coffee is a massive stimulant. Yeah, you wrote a whole post about this. I did, and we'll link to that, mm-hmm. about being uh, introverted and highly sensitive and and my relationship with coffee, which I've had confirmed by a couple other people that read that post, had been similar for them. And yeah. I've gone off coffee pretty much. And it's probably one of the productivity hacks that's been the best for me is yeah. stopping drinking coffee. What I've learned to do is judge my stimulation on any day because some days I wake up more stimulated than others. And this can happen because of dreams or because of a bad night's sleep or any of these things. Yeah, I was going to say, like, this is not a constant. Like, it's not once you figure it out what stimulates you and what's your perfect level that stays the same all the time. Like, some days I need extreme levels of stimulation and some days I, I need just... None. I need Yeah. Other things that are really stimulating for me are ideas. When I write, I know I should have very little... I used to drink caffeine because, like, oh, everyone... That's like the idea, right? It's like you drink caffeine yeah. and then you go writing and like, oh, nothing better than like a blank page and a strong cup of coffee. That sounds no, terrible. No, 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 no. <laughs> If I do that, I will be in the zone for half an hour, maybe an hour, and then I will be just on the other side, not able to write anything coherent and completely confused and not able to do anything for the rest of the day. Yeah, and then you be- and then also like beyond just the work, you become a really cranky human being, which yeah. makes so much sense if you're like... If you've been overstimulated and then you're crashing on the other side. You can you think know? of the other side of it, sometimes having autistic characteristics. Oh, definitely. And I've been actually like described as being autistic. <laughs> yeah, my family. Uh, by your family. Yeah, yeah. So so I, I want to, just because I think it's such an important topic, I, ha- I want to say a few more things on it and then we'll move on. Is when I stopped drinking coffee, I was able to do productive, creative, high-level work for two, three times, sometimes four times longer, maybe even five, depending on the day. Wow. I was able to do so much more, and it was so counterintuitive to me. When I used to work, I was I was sometimes drinking three cups of coffee a day, and this was leading because coffee, if you're highly sensitive, can just rocket you right through your zone. Yeah. So realizing that we have these zones, realizing where they are on the spectrum, learning how to check in with ourselves about where we are today because it's different every day and taking an inventory of all the things that really stimulate you, which is going to be a personal list. It's not going to be the same for everyone. This is work I do in my coaching practice because funnily enough, I've attracted highly sensitive people. (laughs) And so we work on this and it's really, really, really powerful. And when you get a perspective of this, when you've done the work to really understand how this relates to you and you kind of have a, uh, you, you see the landscape of stimulation, you get to start managing your day differently. You can plan differently around it. There's also techniques for how to come down from overstimulation. So for example, 
I started lying in a room covering my eyes and like in a quiet room for 20 minutes. And that can often bring me back quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Taking breaks, all these things. So you learn how to manage yourself and you learn how to manage and plan your day in ways that aren't going to just overwhelm you and totally just kick your ass. It's so, so valuable for if you're an HSP and you want to be creative and productive, getting a grasp of stimulation and how it affects your life is life-changing. And it just makes your life a lot better when you're not living in an overstimulated world. It's That's not a very fun place to be. Yeah, I want to just say something on uh, one last comment on this, because that's also been my experience is you know this whole lying in the room with the with the eyes with something over your eyes and in a quiet room i have such a hard time doing that it's really hard when i get overstimulated and that happens quite often i'm on it's like i don't know how to explain this it's it's almost too hard to go from too much stimulation to none and so it's almost like I have to like take steps down, you know, so like I will, for instance, stop moving and, and maybe lie down and watch something, you know, because like it's almost like going from from too much to too little in one it like can be almost too stimulating. Does that yeah, I don't know if that yeah, makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, but that's, yeah, 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 that's, uh, that's uh, been my if experience. It, if all of. I think anyone can relate to that state where you just can't stop doing, doing, doing. And you you try to sit down, but you just can't. Yeah. That's kind of how it feels. And so sometimes, yeah, it does make sense to ramp down. Kind of scale down. Yeah. yeah, and- yeah. One thing that really struck me when I read the book uh, over, I think it was two, two years ago now, was she talks a lot about how the way, like the childhood of HSPs is a huge factor. So I think like childhood in general is like this huge thing and and how we were treated as a child for anyone is extremely important. But in her book, she makes this comment that a positive, healthy, good environment is going to have a great benefit to an HSP, like more than for a non-HSP kid. But the other the other side of this is also true, which is like a traumatic events or or like a bad uh, bad experiences in childhood will have also more profound effects on HSPs. You can you la- can think about it as lasting. like you can think about it as like a, a, a bigger range of of potential from like very low, yeah, if they're traumatized or have a tough time growing up to. Uh, very high. Yeah. And this was particularly interesting to me because I, I think I read the book a few months after uh, the resurfacing of my childhood abuse, like childhood sexual abuse trauma. And it seemed to make so much sense because, for instance, um, HSPs have a a bigger tendency to anxiety and depression. And as we've mentioned, that can come from like the overstimulation, but that can also come from just taking harder experiences in the like taking experiences in the past harder than than other non HSP kids. And so that has been extremely true for me in seeing the continuing ripple effects that are in my life from this uh, trauma that happened when I was a child and to some extent that I'm still very much dealing with. And yeah, it, it kind of gave an, an understanding for me of, oh, okay, tendencies to depression, tendencies to anxiety. How can I best 
take care of myself in those moments where it's coming up. For instance, I'm kind of in a flare up of this right now. Like it's on and off, but I'm not feeling a hundred percent. And, and, and it's just helpful to have this understanding that, well, that makes so much sense that, that it would be this hard for me and that it would continue to be this hard for me because I was a highly sensitive kid. And I think, um, one thing that comes up as I'm talking about this and that I've been working on a lot is around boundaries, around like learning to say no, learning to take time for myself. Because I think I, as an empath, as an empathic kid, I, and as an empath today, I still kind of want to not have any boundaries. You know, I want to be able to just offer that empathy. And Karina, who is also my coach, I, I'm working with her one-on-one. For, I've been working with her for the last few months. And she has this term of like riding the empathy elevator and like having to decide who I'm going to ride the empathy elevator with. Because I don't have to write it with everyone. I can like put boundaries and kind of close that. But it's a really, really big process. And I think it's worth mentioning here too, because that's also something that's really close to my heart, that this is probably the work of HSPs all around, like all over the gender spectrum. But I think HSPs who have a female body and were raised as little girls and young women have a harder time setting boundaries because we're taught that most of our value resides in the fact that we are so giving and selfless and taking care of everyone's needs before our own. So yeah, that's kind of all over the place, what I just said, but that's that's also my experience as discovering that I'm an HSP. That's been a really big part of my experience. I think boundaries have been extremely important for both of us and realizing that you know, going back to the stimulation thing, as well as what you're talking about with this kind of porous empathy that that happens, is that if we don't set strong boundaries, it's just more important for us than, than it can be for other people because we're more affected by it. And our energy tends to be more sapped uh, mm-hmm. out of, without our will if we don't. And so it becomes critical as a way of of kind of surviving to set boundaries on, on how that happens. I mean, travel for us was one of them. I know it was for me. It was like, that was like setting a major boundary and still is to some extent. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's still an important reason. And and I've gotten much better at boundaries for myself and, and what I can handle uh, right now. And I think this is something that HSPs always have to come to terms with. And we did a, if you want to hear HSPs talk about boundaries, go listen to our Tending Your Internal Landscapes. Mm-hmm. That is, uh, that's all about setting boundaries. And for some people, they may not get it at all. But like for an HSP, that's uh, particularly important to do. Yeah. I think overall, learning about this trait and learning that this is something that I have has taught me how to have a lot more compassion for myself in all different areas, in the areas of, oh, well, I get really overstimulated really fast and I couldn't get to everything I wanted to do that day. Or, you know, like that still is a big trigger. That still is hard. But I've learned more compassion. And I think the element of the infant body was definitely something that resonated with me a lot because I would have very strong reactions. Like I would I would get really mad at myself for not being able to do things or I would get really mad at myself for going through a depressed phase 
And that works great, by the way, if you're already feeling depressed and you're kicking yourself down because you're depressed and you're like hating on yourself, that's the best remedy for depression. That's how you get out of it. That's like, I've, yeah, that's, I'm sure that's science. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so it's taught me maybe to do that a little less, to have a a little bit more compassion, to uh, allow the fact that parts of my system of my of my uh, infant body of my very sensitive nervous system have been uh, transgressed and aggressed and su- are suffering no matter the reason and that like I can have more compassion for that I can relate with that because I think another way that HSPs can have a hard time is that they're living in a world that isn't HSP mm. uh, that's not the mainstream and Elaine Aaron makes a beautiful comment about how our trait is not seen as neutral. If it's not the mainstream trait, yeah. it's not neutral. It's either demonized, ignored, or you know whatever. But it's definitely not. Um, it's definitely not neutral. And in our case, for the most part, uh, it's not positive. And in some of this work is around finding the positives. It is a neutral trait. It is, but um, it's not. It's not better than. Mm-hmm. It's just different. And there's a purpose for it. But living in a society that doesn't really have that need can be extremely confusing and really, really damaging. And, you know, when we're talking to Karina, she mentions she sees a lot of people with thyroid problems Mm. or autoimmune in general, I think. And I'm one of those people. And, you know, when we, when we're stressing out our system and not listening to that infant body, which is so easy to do when probably we've grown up in a family that's not highly sensitive for a lot of us Mm -hmm. in a culture that's not highly sensitive with friends that aren't highly sensitive. Yeah. Uh, you end up, uh, your body revolts. And yeah. and uh, I mean, I feel like I was lucky to catch this in my 20s, but I did permanent damage to my body that I will always have, at least that seems to be the case. And that was uh, that was really hard to come to terms with. And, and that was really a turning point in my life when I realized that I am killing myself. Mm. Yeah, plus there, the one one thing that Karina said on that episode that you're referencing to is there's this whole belief that something's wrong with us, right? Because we're, as you said, we're not living in that, we're not living in a culture that sees our trait as neutral. Therefore, we're taught from a very young age that it's not okay. Like I have a very strong memory of being in a big city, like we use, I grew up in a tiny island and then sometimes we would go to the mainland in France and, and then we'd be in big cities and there's a lot of homeless people, often with animals like, you know, dogs or cats for, you know, to keep company and also to uh, attract sympathy from people to give them money. And oh, that was, that that is to this day is still really hard for me to see, like misery and, and pain and suffering and, and, uh, especially in animals, not just in animals, but that's a big part of it. And I have very strong memory of like coming out of the subway station, seeing a homeless man with like a couple of dogs and maybe a cat on his lap. And it was winter and it definitely was cold to be living on the street. And I think I started like, I don't know, feeling very anxious or distressed or sobbing. And my mom, who I highly suspect is a highly sensitive person as well, but my mom told me like, 
you can't take the weight of the world on your shoulders. You know, it's like best way to shut it down. You know, it's like, well, there's something wrong with her. She's crying at the homeless man again. You know, like, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, I can't control it. You know? But to be fair to parents, I think they may not know how to deal with this. And actually, we watched a movie recently, and that was one of the things the parents in the movie said. So there's a there's a pretty good movie uh, called Sensitive, the Untold Story. It, yeah. it gives you an overview. It's definitely not produced for, in a way, it's ridiculous because it was, like, way too stimulating yeah, in, in the yeah, way it was produced. Yeah. But it, the information is fairly the good. The information was And good. It's, it's an hour long, so it's a pretty fast way to get an overview of this. And yeah, I guess I, I would recommend it. I think what you're saying around, man, that was one of the turnarounds in my life was realizing I'm not just flawed. I it, this is I'm it's not just me. In mm-hmm. I'm not just a flawed human being that can't handle the world. That is such a we've talked about it before in other contexts around like introversion, and this is tied up with that for sure. Most seventy percent of highly sensitive people are introverts. Yeah. And most of highly sensitive people, according to Dr. Elaine Aaron, are a special brand of introverts called intu- uh, in- introverted intuitives. Yeah. I fall into this into this uh, fairly small subcategory, mm-hmm. uh, which has a pretty hard time with mainstream culture just because it's diametrically opposed in a lot of ways. Realizing that I, I this wasn't just me, realizing that you know, we have our weakness thrown in our face all our lives. So being able to put a name to it and realizing that this is not just us, it's like being diagnosed with a disease and finally finding out what that thing for 15 years has is. It gives you power. You can you can start to you can start to do the hard work of rewriting your story, of reframing your experience in the light of this. It's extraordinarily powerful. And that's the first step, but that is a really big one. And I think the second step, which which I think you, you've alluded to a little bit too, is you start to reclaim your strengths. Yeah, I think that's the, that's the really important part because that's the mind-blowing thing of calling it a neutral trait. It's like all of a sudden it's just, it's not just... Oh, this, this like terrible weakness or th- these terrible habits or patterns or, or, you know, and, and I still think like that sometimes. Like I still, it, it's still hard to accept that there are a lot of downsides to all of the good things about being an HSP and that it's kind of a package deal. Sometimes I'd like to just have the good things and not the, Things are not as comfortable. Don't we all? Don't, Don't we, we all? all? For anything, right? Yeah, it's, it's. I'd like to eat that cupcake and not have the spike in blood sugar. Yeah. <laughs> Package deal. Package <laughs> deal. So we're, we're it. It's been really uh, important, and that's also what's been happening, and that's also the reason why I've decided to work with Karina as a coach one on one is because I wanted to do one-on-one work with someone who has reclaimed all of her strengths, who ha- who has like. A, a life that she feels happy and content and successful uh, with. And, and so it's been, it's still a, a mindfuck to think about all the strength that we actually have, but that are, yeah, it's almost like um, we want this, like even from outside of me, I get this sense that people would like to have access to my qualities and my strengths, but not the weaknesses, you know? And the strengths are so powerful, the thing that I, I think, you know, Elaine uh, has a quote in her book that I'm, I'll read. She says, 
You were born to be among the advisors and thinkers, the spiritual and moral leaders of your society. And this is the strength of an HSP type, not maybe not only, but particularly for us, yeah. is that all these sensitivities actually have a place and, and they're, they're actually replicating and, and recognizing this in the animal kingdom. Mm-hmm. In a lot of different areas in the animal kingdom is that about 20%, the same 20%, are more sensitive in different ways. That means something different if you're a crab or a deer than a human, but they are. And this serves a function for the whole group Mm. because they are the first ones aware of predators. They notice things. They, They might take the herd somewhere else where there's water, these kind of things. So there is a function for it. And, uh, Dr. Elaine Aaron kind of calls it, uh, the Royal advisor class. Uh, you have the warrior kings and you, the warrior kings need their royal advisors. I like this way of thinking about it. I really appreciate that because it also speaks to a lot of the work I do on a personal basis, especially in like it's helped me realize what my powers are mm-hmm. and start to embrace those. And as I start, like I, I work as a royal advisor to people. Yeah. And I'm just realizing now how much of the strengths I've taken for granted are extraordinarily valuable and really, really helpful for others. And if we overlook this, we can't help society. Yeah, I think it's so true for me too. I I don't know how much I resonate to the whole royal advisor myself, but I think just if you go back to the acronym, right? Like depth of processing, of course, this is so valuable. Like we need a, a, a certain percentage of the population that is, and that doesn't have to be just HSPs, but we need uh, to to have a good balance. We need the people who are going to think more deeply about about things or who are going to pause and check, you know? Like I think Elaine Aaron also makes the point in her in her book or in the movie, I can't remember that if our trait was useless, it would have died out in the evolution, you know, like there's a reason, the reason we're, we're like, I think she, she says she doesn't know about this, but I kind of like the, the, uh, hypothesis that maybe the reason why we need 80% or at least more non-HSPs than HSP in any given tribe or species is that because is that probably in the wild the non-HSP ones die more often because they're not the ones that are going to pause and check and make sure that uh, the water hole is safe before they drink or or they're not going to pause and check and really sniff that berry before they eat it, you know? And so, so I like this kind of hypothesis. I like there is no evidence that this is the case, but I just think Oh, wow, that, that would make sense that, that we would need the more sensitive to take care of the young, to take care of the old, to make sure no one gets left behind in the tribe. And I feel like that's more my role. I think you fall under the, the royal advisor very well. I think my role, uh, as I'm like starting to hold women's circle and, and like offer coaching services, I realize I don't like the term coaching because I feel like my role is more one of a, a space holder. And Karina has this term that I really liked, which which is uh, beta leaders, which is like basically you're showing other people their own strengths so that they can be the leaders in their life instead of, you know, doing 
um, I don't know, maybe a great opposite to HSP would be, or to HSP ways of doing things would be like Tony Robbins. I knew you were going to say that. Dude, I've seen like videos of his conferences and it's just like, is this a concert? Is this, and he's having people like chant like, I am the leader of my own life. I will lead, not follow. And then people are like, I will lead, not follow. Yeah, and like, you're like, whoa. You're, you're following right now. <laughs> but yeah, so that's, <laughs> well, I think you're talking about something Elaine also brings this up in the book is that one of our strengths is creating sacred space. Yeah. Uh, I interpret sacred space as transformative space. It's you can't force someone to change. You're not going to transform them, but you can create the space within and make sure the things are there that make it possible for transformation to occur. Mm -hmm. That's the way I think about it. Robert Moore has a great book on this. It's called The Archetype of Initiation. I so strongly recommend it. If you if you're in this kind of work, whether you're a coach or you whether you offer any kind of transformative space or and and that's part of your work, definitely go read it. I see this with your women's circle. I see this with what I call a coaching practice because it's easy to understand, but I tend to think of myself more as a guide. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's about creating sacred space. And we do this over at Ripple Out Retreats with our friends, Lou and Kelly. And that is a sacred space on a much bigger level. It's a 10-day level. And a lot, I think, of what makes or breaks those retreats that we're doing is to the degree we're able to establish sacred space. Mm -hmm. And then the rest kind of happens on its own, or you're at, le at least you're not in control of it. Yeah. And, but this sacred space making is something that is one of our powers. We're sensitive. We understand the things that go into this. We can pick up on where other people are at. Like you said, beta leaders help bring other people up with them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think these are all aspects of, uh, of a different kind of leader than, than society often like kind of throws at us or, or suggests we should be. Yeah. And I think it's one we need. And going back to the story of like you saying, oh, I don't know if there's evidence for that. I kind of disagree because 20% of us are like this. And we're seeing this in the animal kingdom. There is evidence that mm. this is necessary for some reason or that it has had some sort of positive evolutionary importance. So I think there is evidence that whether that's the reason, right? That That's probably what you're saying. Whether that's the reason or not, there is a reason that that is so. I think the thing I was saying there's no evidence on is why there is more non-HSP. Like, why is this, why are we a minority and, and, and the non-HSP are a majority? Another one of our strengths, uh, and I'd like to, to, to quote, quote Elaine Aaron on this again, is around vocation, actually. And um, so she talks, she's going to start off by talking about the individuation process. The individuation process, this is a term coined by Carl Jung and has been used ever since. Uh, it, this is the idea, you can think of it broadly as realizing our unique potential. And like we've talked about this in typology, but we all have different kind of... It's like self-actualization. Yeah, it's self-actualization, but we all realize this on a different path. Mm -hmm. and, part of, and that's individuating. Mm -hmm. So this is the individuation process that she's going to mention. Okay, here's the quote. The individuation process requires enormous sensitivity and intuition in order to know when you are working on the right question in the right way. As an HSP, you are built for this as a racing yacht is designed to catch the wind. That is, 
the HSP's vocation in the larger sense is being careful to pursue well his or her vocation in the personal sense, end quote. Man, has that been true in my life? Same. I feel like because we're very sensitive, we can tune in to what I would I would call soul, uh, to that inner voice mm. that that is kind of guiding us. And I think this can be extraordinarily painful uh, because that voice isn't is usually not telling you to go make more money and uh, go party and or you know it might not even be telling you to have that family you just had. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it's very difficult, but we tend to tune into that more. And I think. You know, I think our culture needs that. I think we recognize our culture needs that uh, quite a bit more. And and I think we're in a position to lead that. Not always, maybe we don't always lead it in a more traditional sense. Maybe it's just leading it by example. Mm. Uh, and, and I'm going to quote one more time. This is from Carl Jung. Julie Roxanne just stuck a pencil up her nose. <laughs> I was waiting. <laughs> All right, this is what he says. And he's talking about introverts. They are living evidence that this rich and varied world with its overflowing and intoxicating life is not purely external, but also exists within. Their life teaches more than their words. Their lives teach the other possibility, the interior life, which is so painfully wanting in our civilization. Phil, if you if you can get anything out of this episode today is... If you're resonating with a lot of what we've shared, I've had the desire and I still have the desire many, many times over to just kind of hide and not not show up to the world. It's too complicated. It's too stimulating. I'm too tired. I don't want to do it. Uh, it's too scary. It's too intense. But there is so much that we have to offer as HSPs that we have to offer to the world. I think we are the way that the culture is going to maybe get a little more balanced. We are like, our sensitivity is needed. And I think we're not doing anyone. I think we're doing everyone a disservice when we're not showing up to our fullest potential. Yeah. When we hide. Wow. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Yeah, I'm going to go back to bed now because I'm really overstimulated. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, the life of an HSP. And for all you non-HSPs out there, we love you. We love you dearly as well. Oh, yeah. you. you there, we, we just don't spend a lot of time talking about your strength and why you're valuable because the culture is already doing that for us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But we, we all have a role to play. And I think it's yeah. just, I think it's really important because this is one that, that I think is overlooked, undervalued, and generally neglected and can lead to a lot of harm for the, the segment of the population that experiences life this way. Yeah. So hopefully you will forgive us for indulging. Yeah. And also, I think this is important for non-HSP to know because if we can learn all how to take better care of our HSP people, I think we're... Uh, we're. Yeah, your son, your friend, your mom, your dad, they all might be HSPs. Yeah. One out of five. Yeah. So and the, the better we understand this, this segment, because when this segment thrives... Everyone tends to thrive yeah. more. That yeah. is one of the positives and benefits. Is yeah. that HSPs tend to to support and empower others, and so very true. Yes. All right. So, if you enjoyed this episode, yeah, well, we got a couple things. First off, we rarely say this, so 
Show notes are at thefaroutpodcast.com. Anything we mentioned will be there. Check it out. Yeah. Also, we're on Instagram. We're on Instagram. Yes. It's yes. Uh, it's it's a work in progress, but I'm having fun with it. Yeah. Alistair's on Julie there Roxanne. Bit. Yeah, I'm on there a little bit, but Julie Roxanne is our chief Instagrammer. And if you enjoy this podcast, you will probably enjoy the Instagram because it is kind of an insight into how we live and things we're thinking about. Yeah, we share a lot on there. So definitely give us a follow at at the far out couple. At the far out couple. And now you know the drill. If you've enjoyed this episode, one, if you're new here, please subscribe. We'd like to see you around. Yeah. Two, if you have subscribed, the best thing you can do to help us grow is share it with someone else who would appreciate this. In that case, everyone wins. You look awesome because you shared something awesome with other people. <laughs> so you're, you're doing good. They benefit. So that's great. And we grow this small little tribe of ours a little bit bigger. And that, that, yes. that's fun. So two, share it with someone. Just one person. Just one person. And number three, if you've done both those or you're feeling extra generous today, Please leave us a review. Yes. It helps so much, and it just makes our day that much brighter. And as highly sensitive people, uh, it's it's really helpful to get uh. some positive words of affirmation. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that outro is too long. Uh. Toodles. Uh, toodles. Toodles.